This is the Italian Real Estate Podcast, here to help you with the ins and outs and basics of Italian real estate presented by ItalianRealEstateLawyers.com. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Italian Real Estate Podcast presented by ItalianRealEstateLawyers.com. Of course, we are back here again with Italian attorney Marco Permonian. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. And today, we wanted to talk about a topic that has become more and more popular over the years, and uh, especially with the world coming at least closer to what is normal, or what was normal, <laughs> um, Airbnbs. There are a lot of individuals out there who are really interested in purchasing a property in Italy so that they can rent it out for a short-term basis to allow some income just to trickle in so that they can maybe have a property in Italy that maybe doesn't necessarily sit empty the whole year round, but that they can visit whenever it is that they would like. Uh, so Marco, I think this is a, of course, a very complicated topic, but it may be worthwhile to first start just with an overview of the purchasing process, because we have done episodes on this in the past where we've really gone in depth, but maybe just to give a rough idea of what it is like, for example, if somebody were to work with you and your team to purchase a property in Italy, how would that go? How would that look like? The purchase process in Italy can be a little bit more complex than uh, the purchase process in other countries like the US and especially because the process in Italy is affected by very old regulations that, for example, say that you have to use a public notary to complete the uh, purchase process. And it's because the notary in Italy is a public official that has basically the purpose of certifying the transaction. In other words, the transaction cannot happen if a public notary doesn't certify uh, the transaction. Uh, from a practical standpoint, that means that you have to, like the, the seller and the buyer, they have to appear before a public notary to basically transfer the ownership of a certain property from one person to the other. And the notary will have the responsibility of basically making sure that uh, the transaction is happening in compliance with Italian law, uh, but also that the owner has the legal ability to transfer uh, the property to the seller, that the owner is actually the owner. And the notary will also have the responsibility of registering the sale in specific registries that are held by the local uh, offices in the place where the property is purchased to make the whole transaction official. Like I said, the notary is a public official that you have uh, necessarily to use and who can be rather expensive. The notary in Italy has little to do with what a notary in the US uh, does primarily because the public notary in Italy is somebody who has gone to law school and also has uh, passed a very difficult test. Um, and in, the number of notaries in Italy is limited in a certain area. Um, there are some similarities with what a notary in the US will do, meaning certifying signatures or identities, but the notary in Italy will do more than that. And, um, and also the notary in Italy is used in many other 
circumstances like uh, when it comes to um, making wheels or setting up companies now we talked about the notary which is the very final step of the process when you're ready to transfer the uh, ownership of your property onto another person but uh, the purchase process in Italy is a multi-step process which normally starts with a formal offer meaning an offer in writing where you basically state the amount that you're ready to pay to the seller um, normally the offer as a uh, an expiration date um, and if it's not accepted within that date it will expire but if the buyer accepts your offer i'm sorry if the seller accepts your offer then you move on to the next step which is normally but it's not a necessary step to enter into a preliminary agreement uh, which is what most people do especially people who have to get a loan which can be a normal agreement which doesn't require a notary but you can also do it before a notary to make it more official and to make sure that your agreement is stronger from a legal standpoint uh, after you have entered into a preliminary agreement um, which states basically that you promise to sell your property to, to that specific person within a certain time frame um, normally what the parties do is they do some due diligence just to make sure that you know everything is fine that um, the owner is actually the owner that the property is good from a structural standpoint and from a legal standpoint that there are no liens or other limitations and then uh, like I said the final step is to complete the purchase uh, which necessarily must happen uh, before a notary and normally it's a kind of a ceremony that takes place in the notary's office where uh, the parties appear before the notary and the notary reads the property deed to make sure that it's understood by everybody and if everybody's in agreement then they sign the um, the agreement and the ownership passes to the other person and the buyer has to pay the seller normally that's done through a certified check or a cashier's check um, which is given to the seller in exchange for the keys uh, of the apartment but it could also be that um, the seller it's more unusual has paid the um, I'm sorry the buyer has paid the seller in advance through a wire transfer or it could happen also that the notary has a an escrow account and in, in which case the money will be already in the notary's account before the meeting and the notary will only release the funds will actually uh, execute a wire transfer uh, at the time of the purchase uh, while the seller and the buyer are in uh, their office. And that's fascinating. So having covered the technical legal aspect of what actually goes on during the process of the purchase itself, how does the running of that business go, that process for, not necessarily process, but the the things that you have to keep in mind when you are running uh, an Airbnb in Italy. Uh, how, how does that look from, a, from an owner's perspective? So first of all, um, you can run an Airbnb uh, as a company or as an individual and that will change um, your taxes. But maybe we can talk about that in a second. But basically what you're doing when you're offering your property through Airbnb is you're entering into a short-term agreement 
with your guest. Um, and in Italy, if an agreement, a rental agreement is shorter than 30 days, then it doesn't need to be registered, which means um, we talked about rental agreements in Italy um, in other episodes. Uh, they're very well regulated as opposed to what happen, happens in other countries. You can only sign certain types of agreements. The majority uh, of people in Italy uh, sign a at least a four years rental agreement which needs to be right. registered. So a lot of requirements. But if your agreement, rental agreement is for less than 30 days, uh, then it doesn't need to be registered. So basically, uh, your uh, guest can um, accept the terms of your agreement, which must be a written agreement in the Airbnb web- website, but there's no need for you to take any further uh, step, which is a big advantage, because mm-hmm. like I said, in Italy, otherwise you would have to uh, comply with a lot of requirements. There will be other activities which would make um, renting through Airbnb way more difficult. But right. because it's a short-term agreement, so it falls within that category, you don't have to basically comply with all of these requirements. The mm-hmm. only though requirement that you have to um, comply with or actually activity that you will have to um, do is you will have to communicate to the Questura, which is a local uh, police office, uh, the uh, information about the identity of your guests. But uh, the uh, Questura in Italy, they have implemented the system where they allow you to communicate this information um, through, a, through their website, which makes it also very easy and kind mm-hmm. of automatic for you to, to do that. You can do that very quickly. So uh, these are the things to keep in mind from a legal standpoint when you are renting your property through Airbnb in Italy. That's interesting because um, I I know like again, like through a regular contract that has to be registered in the process and that can end up being annoying for both the landlord and the tenant at at times depending. And there's also fees associated with that. But that's cool that you would be able to make just this simple report to the the police for this case just through an online portal. and so I guess this also makes sense because I remember when I've stayed at Airbnbs in Italy, uh, you either have to give them a copy or they'll take a picture of your passport. That's just normal because they're doing the report then and there, um, and we'll, or at least we'll do it after the fact. When setting up an Airbnb or going through the purchase process or whatever it may be, um, is there any sort of zoning that a person may have to keep in mind while they are um, making the decision on what is the appropriate property for them? Uh, or do they have to be concerned? Like, for example, I know in past episodes, we've spoken about condominiums and how those are set up in Italy, uh, that many of the apartment buildings are set up in a way that you have specific rules as an owner that you have to follow. And the tenants also will have to follow not making noise after a certain time of night or during certain times of day, depending on where it is that you are. Um, but then there are some apartment buildings that are just not set up that way. Are those type of things um, some aspects that uh, the owners of these Airbnbs that they'll have to take into consideration um, before or during their operation? Well, when you're purchasing a property, uh, first of all, you do have to make sure that you're uh, purchasing a property that can be used as a residential property. Um, You can always change the uh, use that you can make 
of that property, uh, like how the property is registered. If it's registered as a commercial property, you can normally change it as um, a property for residential use, uh, but there are fees associated with that process mm-hmm. and it may or may not be possible. So that's something to keep in mind uh, for sure. And when you're purchasing a property in a condominium complex, um, I know a lot of people have been wondering whether the uh, property manager or the owners of the other units can basically forbid uh, the Airbnb activity. Uh, but the thing is, when you're renting through uh, Airbnb, all you're basically doing is you're renting a property um, short term to another person, to your guest. So they can't really forbid uh, the uh, Airbnb activity. They can make it for sure more difficult for you to run it. So it's right. probably best if you're purchasing a unit in a condominium complex to and make sure that the other property owners are okay with you running an Airbnb. Maybe you contact the manager and uh, the, the property manager. If there are more than a certain number of units in Italy, there needs to be a property manager. And that's the person that you can probably contact if you're wondering whether the other property owners will raise any uh, concerns about you running a, an Airbnb. But remember that as long as you're sticking to the rules, meaning you're actually just renting out the property and you're not carrying out any other professional activity uh there's no one that can uh, forbid you from doing mm-hmm. that meaning to run an airbnb you can only offer limited services to your guests so you can clean the apartment so offer cleaning services uh, change the bed sheets and um but but you cannot go beyond that because otherwise it becomes a professional activity and it, it's it's no longer uh, renting your apartment but you're carrying out a different activity and that may be um, not allowed in a uh, condominium complex um, and also you may need different authorizations there may be other requirements uh, so just make sure that you're sticking to uh, running an Airbnb, meaning renting out your property uh, to your guests, uh, by also offering a limited amount of services. Interesting. And so just one thing, because I remember before we were uh, starting to record this episode, you mentioned something that's kind of in line with something you just mentioned here about that there was a court case in Milan that actually made it, at least in that case, um, that they understood that in that um, building, even though the um, the association, the building association said that no, we don't allow by our rules for an Airbnb, it was actually unlawful and the the court actually overruled that. So is that something that would be recognized in a lot of the country or is that going to kind of end up being a case-by-case basis? But it's something that I wouldn't be concerned in other parts of the country because at the end of the day, as long as you're renting your property short term to mm-hmm. uh, your guests through Airbnb, you're doing nothing wrong. So, um, like I said, it may not be advisable to run an Airbnb um, within a condominium complex if you already know there's going to be complaints because they the other property owners may make your life more difficult with your guests uh, in some other ways. So. Right. I think it's important everybody agrees that it's okay for you to run an Airbnb. And again, we're talking about condominium complexes here because Mm -hmm. 
in Italy, they're very popular. So especially in major cities, you may find yourself buying a, a unit within a condominium complex. And of course, it's always best to um, get along with the other property owners. And if you feel like right. there maybe there are old couples living there or, or you may feel like they're not going to want you to run an Airbnb, even if legally they can't stop you, they may find other ways to, you know. Uh, make things bother you or make it more difficult for you to run your activity one last aspect that i think may be worthwhile to just briefly talk about maybe not even to go into all the details but taxation this will be something that a lot of people will be wondering about how does the taxation for these type of activities work generally speaking so uh, of course as any other activity in Italy, you will be uh, paying taxes on your income. And if you go for the uh, normal regime, then taxation in Italy uh, will be probably be on the higher hand. Of course, you could choose to buy the property or run the business um, through your uh, company, which would probably make uh, taxes a little bit lower on the lower end. But if you're running the Airbnb, as, a, as an individual, you can expect higher uh, taxation. That's why the Italian government has, uh, a few years back, introduced a new tax regime for rentals. Uh, basically, as a property owner, you can choose a the cedolare seca, which means that you only pay the 21% uh, on your income coming from rentals. Um, it also means that you cannot deduct any other expenses as you could do if you were in the normal tax regime. So you can write off the cost of the uh, property manager or even the Airbnb fees, which you cannot do if you are um, using this cedulare secca. But uh, the taxation becomes very advantageous because we're only talking about the 21%. Um, And you can only take advantage of the cedulare secca if you are, uh, if you own the property as an individual, uh, not if the property is owned by your company. So this kind of gets back into what you were talking about before, that if you are just an individual doing short-term rentals, this is a different case that nobody can come after you for per se. But if you do it as a company, as a commercial venture, then that's the type of situation where you could end up raising um, some potential issues for yourself. Or did I misunderstand that? Actually, at the end of the day, what makes the difference is the kind of activity that you're running. So mm-hmm. if, you're, uh, if your activity is limited to renting out the property uh, and offering very basic services, then you can qualify for the cedolare secca and then you uh, are respecting all of the uh, Airbnb rules in Italy. Uh, but what makes the difference if you go beyond that, then if you offer other services, then you're actually running a t- different type of business. You're no mm-hmm. longer um, just renting out the property through Airbnb, but are, you're actually doing something different, which means that you cannot use this very advantageous tax regime that I just mentioned, but also it also means that uh, there may be other limitations and requirements to consider because you're no longer just renting your property. So you're not uh, running an Airbnb, you're doing something more. Interesting. So in that case, maybe some that 
potential something more, say, for example, if you own a piece of property and that property is maybe on a farm and it's an agriturismo, for example, would that maybe be the type of situation that goes beyond the normal scope of just providing cleaning and linens? Probably, yes. It could be that you're maybe at that point running a hotel or a different type of uh, activity that doesn't qualify as purely as Airbnb. Interesting. Well, this has been a really fascinating episode. Of course, if anybody has any questions, uh, they can definitely leave that down in the comment section here on YouTube. Or if you're listening to this as an audio only podcast, feel free to come on over. Or if anybody has any questions that they would like to send directly to you and your team, how can they get in contact with you guys for more assistance with uh, the purchase process and even upkeep of their Airbnb here in Italy? And people can contact us through our website, italianrealestatelawyers.com, or give us a call. The number is on the website. Absolutely fantastic. And of course, if you're interested in more content like this, be sure that you are subscribed to this YouTube channel or the audio only podcast. But of course, if you're subscribed to the YouTube, you're also automatically subscribed to the Italian Citizenship Podcast. Of course, it could be advantageous to potentially be an Italian citizen while running your business or commercial activities in the nation. And of course, also, if you're interested in more content about life abroad, living abroad, living abroad as a dual citizen expat in Italy or elsewhere in the EU, be sure to come over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Rafael Di Furia. You can also find it through the audio only podcast, not your average globetrotter. But of course, on YouTube, sometimes I get out and about and do a little bit of exploring, show you guys where I am and a lot more fun. Of course, thank you, Marco, for making yourself available for this episode of the Italian Real Estate Podcast presented by ItalianRealEstateLawyers.com. Of course, for everybody out there, we have been here with Italian attorney Marco Permunian. I'm Rafael Di Furia. Stay safe and healthy out there, and we will see you all next time. Later. Thank you. Thank you.